0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Your Village Podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. I've gotten many questions over the past several months for tips about coming together and parenting as a couple. Now, single parents have a special challenge, and I cannot imagine going through this journey alone, but two parents do have challenges as well, whether you're still together in the same household or not, for finding common ground, choosing your battles, not just with your kids, but with each other and coming together in as many ways as possible to raise your kids and being the best people they can be. Now, as most of you know, I am in a two-parent household, not just that, but with a partner who is extremely helpful and definitely pulls his fair share of the weight when it comes to the kids. Even with all that, marriage is not easy. I used to think it was, and actually it was easy for the longest time, and when people said marriage was hard, I didn't know what they were talking about. I thought they just chose poorly. Well, at almost 12 years in, I get it. It does take work and recommitment and dedication to the family and to each other. And while I never want to leave single parents out of the equation, today I am going to address parenting as a couple. And some of what I will talk about today can be helpful in co-parenting for parents who are still sharing the parenting duties, but living in different households. Now, parenting has changed immensely over the past decades. In homes with two parents, in particular, both a mom and a dad, the male partner has become much more involved. And so parenting as a team is much more common. This is mostly a good thing because kids really do benefit from connecting more deeply with two different personalities and seeing different ways of doing things. But it can and usually does add more area for disagreement, and so working together can sometimes be more challenging. So first, I'm gonna cover a few guidelines for working together as a couple. Now, this first one is for couples who are still very much together and is an important for prevention of division and resentment that can set in with a common pattern in modern families and that is you want to support the adult relationship first if the relationship is not healthy parenting will not be as good as it should be parenting will be another area for fodder and disagreement the adult relationship is the foundation for the family. Now I'm gonna touch on a topic that is just one of part of the work and research of Dr. Esther Perel, a psychologist who has done tons of research in the areas of erotic desire, intimacy, and infidelity. And while I'm not discussing those topics here today, one concept in particular that she shares does directly affect families and can set parents on a path to destruction and decomposition. So it's an important dynamic to be aware of and work on in your family if you see this popping up. Now, Esther says that desire is what sustains relationships. Yet today, couples tend to redirect what she calls their eros or their erotic desires and energies onto their children. Now, she's not talking about in a sexual sense, but the energy that would get to each other gets transformed to a deep love, desire to protect and care and nourish and connect with our kids. It gets poured onto our children. Now I remember when my first son was born and all of the sudden, like almost overnight, my husband was no longer first place in my life. My son was. My husband was self-sufficient and capable. My son, which took us a lot of time and heartache, including a miscarriage, to bring into our lives was the epitome of precious and helpless. And I felt so driven to pour almost all of my attention and love and affection and energy onto my son. And my husband felt the same as well. Now, for most couples, there is this undeniable shift. If we aren't careful and we don't maintain some balance, and keep each other as some sort of priority or get back to each other as some sort of priority within a reasonable amount of time, the relationship can really start to suffer. Resentment set in and the next thing you know, the relationship is in trouble. It's on weak footing, especially if the pattern continues with a second child and beyond. So think about childhood, especially childhood today. Children get playdates and new activities rife with novelty, imagination, and playfulness. Everything that makes us feel alive. Soon, we adults begin to live vicariously through our children's experiences. Admittedly, it's intoxicating watching them grow and change and learn and do things new all the time. We deeply enjoy watching them. Their joy is our joy. And that's great. Because parenting is a tough journey. And so these moments are what make the journey worthwhile. We don't want to lose that. But at the same time, we don't want to put so much into them that we have nothing left for each other. Because then the adults do the same old things if we even spend time alone together at all dinner and maybe a movie if we're lucky. Everything that maintains the sense of curiosity, imagination, and feeling alive is given to the kids, the couple gets what's left over, which for most of us isn't much. Yet, the way we run our relationships with each other is the example to our kids, so it's important to keep this in mind, that the adult relationship deserves some of this energy. We need to save some of it for each other. One way is to figure out some new things to try together, some new places to go because paying for a babysitter is a lot cheaper than a divorce. Okay. So for my next tip, you want to decide how and to what degree you want to make decisions together. If one of you tends to be more of the decision maker, You wanna talk about checking in with the other and making sure that everyone is comfortable, especially when it comes to the bigger decisions like preschool, childcare decisions, and the like. Talk together about how much one person gets to take on decisions and how much the other one wants to have some input. I remember when my husband and I first got married and we discussed financial decisions. We set a dollar amount that if we wanted to spend over that amount on something, we had to check with the other one first. This way, one of us wasn't out running off and spending $1,000 on a new couch one week, and the other one wasn't out spending $1,000 on some new gadget for the garage. We made this decision together. What is our dollar amount? What is the limit? We check in with each other. expect that things will constantly shift in your family. I know in our family, just when we get things figured out, activities, schedules, homework and study patterns, something changes. I remember being so excited when all my kids were swimming. We went to one location, my younger two swam first, my older one had the class right after, so we just got to hang out and play while waiting for the siblings in practice. No sooner did we get comfortable with that than my oldest was promoted to an advanced team. It was across town, overlap times with the younger two. I had to work with another mom on the team that had the same configuration. So one of us would stay with the younger kids while the other one took the older kids across town and then we'd bring the kids back together. But things were and are constantly shifting. So understand that. Expect and be ready to zig and zag with life. The big things that successful, happy couples know and do is they are available and willing to listen. They are flexible and open to change and responsive when things aren't working smoothly. Learn how to value differences. See them as benefits rather than annoyances. In psychology, we call this reframing. We reframe a situation to look at the positive side of it rather than focusing on what's bugging us about it. Now, I'm a big believer that life gives us what we need to learn and grow in whatever ways we need most at that time. So as much as we try to fight it until we finally surrender and accept our current challenge and work with it. And I say that in this context, in that it might be a challenge to accept your partner's differences, but really try to work on it and see it as some sort of value and a benefit. In whatever way that you can. Now, I'm going to get more into valuing differences and an example from my own life, along with some more tips on parenting together, right after a word from our sponsor. Hey, parenting beyond discipline listeners. So before the break, I was talking about appreciating differences in your partner. And here's an example from my husband and I. Truth be told, my husband and I don't have much in common when it comes to hobbies. I love to train for races. I love to hike. I love to read and learn about science and philosophy and have discussions about books and things I'm learning. My husband has never met a sport he really likes. He just doesn't have that drive and deep underlying need to set those goals and achieve them in athletic endeavors like I do. He doesn't particularly like to read, but he does like theater, watching TV shows and movies with his free time. While we do appreciate each other's interests, we don't have the same level of passion for each other's endeavors. But... He's amazing at pitching in at home, about taking the kids on fun outings, about getting down on the floor and playing with them, about cleaning the house and doing household chores like laundry or having the kids clean their rooms when I'm off riding my bike for 50 miles on a Saturday morning. If we both had to do that, our house would be a disaster and our scheduling would be really tricky. So as much as sometimes I wish we could share the love of athletic pursuit together, I know it would make life a lot tougher in so many ways. And I appreciate his big part in supporting my lifestyle. I wouldn't be able to do it without him. So another common scenario, if you have a child who is going through a stage where they strongly prefer one parent over the other. So let's say dad puts your child to bed and the child is screaming for mom. This is very common. Now for us in the earlier years, it was often that the boys preferred mom and my daughter preferred her papa. Sometimes if one of our kids didn't wanna do something like get ready for bed, they would yell for the other parent that wasn't in charge of getting them to complete the undesirable task just to stall. But if you're dealing with a child who strongly is preferring one parent over the other, first you wanna stay calm. It's not personal. You wanna avoid overreacting but also underreacting. Overreacting will start a power struggle. Underreacting will give away your power altogether. That looks something like, fine, I'll just let your mom do it. Instead of that, you want to empathize. I know you like to have mommy do this. I love mommy a lot too. But tonight it's my turn and you keep moving forward. You keep moving towards brushing teeth, reading the book, snuggling at bedtime. This issue will dissipate over time. If you are the preferred parent, do not step in and rescue. Yes, it feels good to be wanted and needed, but you aren't doing anyone any favors, your partner nor your child, by running in and taking over. Let your partner handle it. No scorekeeping. This is not helpful and tears at the fabric of the relationship. Keep common goals in mind, brainstorm ways that both parties can get their needs met. One partner wants to rest when she gets home. The other partner wants the kids in bed and the house cleaned up before sitting down to relax. Maybe every other night each partner does the evening duties or chooses his or her way of doing things on that evening. These things will come up. Someone will get sick. Someone has to stay late at work. Someone has a business trip. Be flexible. If it's happening too much, discuss it. Use iMessages. Write down the dates in a way to stick to the facts, not as a way to keep score when sitting down to discuss it. Discuss when everyone is calm. This can be hard when you really want to get things off your chest. Remember, things will go much better if you can talk when the kids are in bed and the dishes are put away, if that's going to bother you. You may need to test out and try different ways until you figure out what works for everyone. And then, of course, everything could change again. You wanna look at the family and the family goals as a whole. Support your partner and the household rather than keeping track and keeping score of who did what, when. You both need to be active participants in child rearing discipline, play, feeding, supporting the family and appreciating each other. Supporting and working together towards common and individual goals. Supporting and appreciating one another's efforts in all areas of maintaining the household and raising the family. For a lot more tips on parenting as a couple, there is a new class on the website that covers all the general guidelines to parenting as a couple, the benefits of having two parents participate in parenting, be they together or in different households. Then I cover techniques to disagreeing and fighting fairly how differences in parenting style can cause disagreements between parents and how to overcome these. Come closer together on your parenting to eliminate the battles and stress, along with a lot more tips and guidelines for coming together rather than working against each other. The class also includes several handouts and worksheets to help partners strengthen their bond and connection. To see the sample video and the class agenda, you can go to yourvillageonline.com under the Modern Parenting section under the happy families list. Now, next week, I'll get back to answering parenting questions. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, you can send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Control type of person. It has been one of the hardest parts to parenting in my experience. So for any parents out there who are struggling with the steps to potty training, you may want to check out the class on potty training that I mentioned earlier at yourvillageonline.com under the health and development section, along with pre-readiness, readiness, and not ready signs and steps. I also talk about a lot of the common pitfalls and issues that can go along with the potty training process. Now, our next question about early risers comes from Lindsay. Lindsay says, Hi, Erin. Thank you so much for your classes and podcasts. They have been a tremendous help for us. My son Carter is two and a half and is having trouble with nighttime sleep lately. He goes to bed at 7, and we would love it if he slept until 6 a.m., but lately he's been waking up at 5 or 5.30. He is still in a crib and has never tried to climb out. Lately at bedtime, he will lay down for a few minutes and then stand up and scream, Mommy, until I come in. I have tried just laying down with him and saying it's sleep time, Every time he does this, it sometimes makes him angry and he just stands up as soon as I leave and screams and cries for me. I have tried not going in, but it usually just continues until I do. I know that I'm reinforcing the behavior by going in after a period of time, but I'm not sure what else to do. Please help. I also wanna mention that we're going through some changes in our house. We're moving in a few weeks and so it has been more chaotic here lately. Thanks again for everything you do. So for Lindsay, To get him to sleep later in the morning, the best bet is to push the bedtime later. So since actually 7 p.m. to 5 or 5.30 is a good 10 to 10 and a half hour stretch, it seems like he's waking up when he's ready to get up. So you might wanna push the bedtime at night. So to do that, you wanna do it in 15 minute increments about every two to three days or three to four days even if you want. So you would start putting him down at 7.15 for three or four days. Then you would move it to 7.30. This will just slightly shift his sleep schedule and should take him through until about 5.30 to 6 the next morning. Now you could push as late as 7.45 to 8 to get him later into the morning if needed, but I wouldn't go any later than 8 o'clock right now. Now, I was actually going to ask you if anything had changed since he started this. So I'm glad that you shared about the moving because there's a lot of things that could be going on. He could be experiencing a growth spurt. He could be experiencing some teething of some sort, or the move may have him feeling a little bit anxious. So I would just get through this for now, going in and comforting him, staying with him and comforting him until he settles down and is getting sleepy. After you're settled in from the move, meaning after a couple of weeks and the new surroundings, everything's unpacked, then you can tackle the bedtimes if he's still struggling. Now, Lindsay is a member, so I recommended to her that she go ahead and watch the toddler sleep class so that once she is ready to tackle the nighttimes, she can pick one of the four methods from the class she feels will work best given her son's temperament and her parenting style, also, Asking and listening to your gut instinct about why this has started. Is there really something bothering him? A physical change like molars or emotional struggles like anxiety about the moving? Or is it simply for attention or power-seeking behavior? Getting in touch with those gut feelings can also help you decide how you'd like to tackle it. If you feel confident it's power or attention seeking, then the mantra method becomes much easier to set that boundary. But if you think he's struggling with some developmental or life change or a physical struggle that's something that's hurting, then a more empathetic approach like the fading method, which is staying with him till he settles down and slowly removing yourself from the room earlier and earlier over a several week period more slowly may feel better for you. Again, wait till the move is complete and you're all settled in before you might start asking yourself these questions with your gut reaction because it may just go back to the way it was after the move and after everything's all settled in. So I would leave this process until after that is complete. And let me know how he's doing after you get settled in your new place. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, you can send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening